Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Network. For farm and ranch information you can depend on and the sources you can trust. Adams on Agriculture and the American Ag Network. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We hope you had a good, safe weekend and you are well. We're ready to kick off this last week of April. And I think, like last year, when we many of us were saying, you know, let's turn the page on 2019 and get to 2020, hopefully it'll be better. Well, we saw how that has turned out so far. But now we're kind of doing it on the months, and we get ready to turn that page from April to May, hoping May will be better than April and March have been when it comes to COVID-19 and getting things back and going again. Hopefully it, uh, we're in the road to recovery as we started to see a slow reopening of the economy in different stages in different places, but at least some of those steps are starting to take place. But we still have a lot of concerns uh, throughout the country from the health standpoint, from the economic standpoint, from a food supply standpoint, we'll be talking about all that uh, again today. And we're also going to be talking weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. So a lot of rain moved across the country uh, over the weekend, so that slowed field work. We'll talk about that, what's ahead for this week. Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone will join us. We talk markets and, and uh, look at the rebounding from COVID-19. And Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, will join us as well as we take a look at the uh, – impact of COVID-19 on our soybean exports and what the market development work is still going on around the world despite the pandemic. So all that coming up on today's program, but happy to start things off with Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Hope you're still well. Yes, Mike. Good morning. Uh, We are really blessed. In the middle of the pandemic, uh, we welcomed a new grandbaby into the world on Saturday. And uh, all are doing well, so pretty exciting times for our our family. Congratulations, but I, I guess you, with social distancing, you probably can't uh, do all the holding and hugging that you want to do yet. You know, actually, we had uh, self quarantined so that and uh, tried to do everything we could so that we could get be able to help. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, it is, uh, but uh, you know, they don't let people into hospitals anymore and things like that. We're just blessed that they're healthy and and uh, doing well. Yeah. So, it's a uh, grandparenting by by distance for now so that's something that i know you'll be looking forward to when you can actually uh, hold that baby so let's move on to the challenges that the agriculture is facing right now i'm i'm looking at this quote from the chairman of tyson foods saying the food supply chain is breaking uh pretty ominous words we know it's a pretty serious situation that uh, as more and more of these meat packing plants are idled Absolutely. You know, Mike, we've been reporting on this for a couple of weeks. You can just see the dominoes start to fall as you've got producers who have been in a just-in-time delivery system of their pork and their poultry um, into these meatpacking plants and poultry plants. And when they start to shut down, uh, it just everything backs up and there's no place for those animals to go. And unfortunately, um, it wasn't until Friday night that USDA came out with their new announcement. They've created a national incident coordination center to help producers. Uh, but even then, you know, 
People have already been looking at euthanizing 2 million chickens in Delmarva, pigs who are being euthanized, um, milk that's being dumped by the truckloads. It's just a, a, a really a scary and messy situation right now for producers, processors, and, and everybody along the supply chain. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's just heartbreaking. We have people hungry. We have uh, farmers and ranchers losing animals, uh, having to destroy animals and and products and crops uh, because they don't have the processing uh, availability. It's just it's just bad on all fronts here on that when it comes to our food supply chain right now. Yes, it's, it's something we haven't seen since the Great Depression in the 30s when we were burying livestock at that time, you know, and at the, as you mentioned, these food banks have record demand. So we have to have a better coordinated response here about how we can move, uh, or in some cases, you know, producers have been telling us they're trying to just park their pigs uh, for a while and see if the processing plants will open back up, but it's not an easy time, and Thank goodness that we're seeing the Small Business Administration and the, the Treasury Department start accepting new applications, at least for a couple of programs that can help producers in the short term while we're waiting for USDA to roll out their programs so people can at least start going in and signing up for the Paycheck uh, Payroll Protection Program again today and also the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program under SBA. It's not enough to cure the losses, but at least it can help provide some short-term assistance. Any word from USDA on details on their implementation process? No, and the other thing that's been interesting to me, I mean, who would want to be the Secretary of Agriculture at this time? I understand it's a tough job, but for gosh sakes, it's amazing they haven't had more of their undersecretaries and others out talking about what's going on right now and how they are trying to help and trying to do things, you know, like this uh, incident coordination center, you'd think USDA would be on the airwaves all the time right now, and they've just been amazingly silent about how soon um, they're going to get all these details released. Ever since that last Friday press conference, we haven't really heard much. Yeah, I know that's frustrating, and it shows again how the, I mean, it's one thing to make an announcement of a, a of dollar package, but until you see the details, everyone's just kind of left wondering. And in the meantime, a lot of ag groups are saying these payment limits and restrictions really are going to limit the effectiveness of the monies that will be available. Yeah, there's a huge debate over that. And again, the only details that we've gotten, and most of the people have gotten, have come from Senator Hoven on the Appropriations Committee saying that there's going to be 125000 limit per commodity and a 250000 cap on all commodities. We think that that's really low for some of the losses that are going to be incurred. But at the same time, you might have listened to our Washington Week in Review, which Senator Thune said that you know people who have been opposed to payment limits in the past are still there, and those who have been in favor of them are saying, you know, with these payment limits, at least there's more money to go around to a wider number of people. So there's a very robust debate over whether we should have these payment limits apply, and we just don't know for sure because USDA has not provided any other guidance. Yeah, that I think adds to the frustration and when they tell you, okay, there's this money, but they can't tell you how it's going to get to anybody or how, you know, what's the mechanism going to be. So that a lot of people are kind of left wondering and, 
and waiting. All right, Sarah, stay well. Again, congratulations on the grandbaby, and we'll be in touch. Talk to you next week. Thank you, Mike. You too. Stay safe. Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. A lot of field work had been getting done last week, but came to a screeching halt with some rain that moved across the country over the weekend. We'll take a look at who got what and what we all might expect this week ahead as we're wrapping up April and on our way to May. So an update on the weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson next on AOA. This is a call for all farmers to come to the aid of their beans. Liberty Herbicide can now be applied on your Enlist E3 soybeans. Superior weed control, greater application flexibility, no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Liberty Herbicide battles tough weeds so your beans can live free and grow healthy. Talk to your BASF rep to learn more. Always read and follow label directions. Liberty is a registered trademark of BASF. Enlist E3 is a trademark of Dow AgroSciences. information america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams all right let's talk weather with dtm meteorologist bryce anderson bryce thank you for joining us and uh, quite a bit of rain moved across the country over the weekend there was some mike um there there was um a pretty uh, heavy round of uh, precipitation in the central midwest it looked like from central Missouri through central Illinois with uh, from two to three plus inch rains uh, over the remainder of the eastern Midwest and then in the northern Midwest, western Midwest, northern plains uh, and central plains, um, a quarter to a half locally one inch uh, was the uh, was the uh, general rainfall total. Uh, the southeast then got some uh, got some rainfall as well. But um the the uh, scenario is uh, uh, sure, certainly prominent uh, over that uh, swath in the central uh, Midwest where that uh, heavy rain settled in. And in those areas, uh, the field work uh, came to a halt for a while. What about this week? Will they be able to get back in the fields? I think there's going to be some, uh, some return to progress, uh, even in the areas that have the heavier rains. Uh, one reason I'm offering some hope for that or at least uh, mentioning the potential of it, is that over the past 60 days, uh, there's been quite a bit less uh, rainfall or total precipitation in uh, much of the central part of the country uh, than we had a year ago. And uh, because of that, there has been, you know, some uh, drying of the topsoil, uh, the topsoil sector, uh, the river and stream uh flow has maybe backed off a little bit. So some of that heavy rainfall from the past uh, several days will have a chance to soak in or run off. And uh, that's a little bit better uh, situation than a year ago. And then over quite a few other areas um, where the lighter rains fell, there is going to be a very limited interruption in uh, field work and uh, planting. In fact, uh, there's you know, quite a bit of uh, the Corn Belt 
uh, where planting is uh, taking place to the point that we could see uh, around a quarter of the corn crop indicated having been planted in this afternoon's report, which of course would be a lot uh, a bigger number than a year ago. And uh, it could even be that uh, there's that there would be a, a greater number than that, you know, possibly up to a third of the crop indicated uh, having been planted. Uh, so there's been a definite uh, uh, round of progress uh, over the past uh, week, 10 days. As we mentioned last week, in, in a year where so far there hasn't been a whole lot of good news, that's been a bright spot to, way ahead of planting a year ago. Definitely. And, uh, you know, the, the other side of that is that maybe the uh, kind of expense and uh, labor and uh, stress that so many growers went through a year ago just simply trying to get crops in the ground will not have to be experienced this year. And uh, so, yeah, we'll take uh, the benefits or we'll take the, the um, lighter load, so to speak, uh, where we can find it in a, in a time like this. All right, what about temperatures this week? Well, temperatures are going to be overall pretty mild. Now, there's uh, going to be some uh, cooler conditions kind of in the eastern part of the Midwest uh, toward the east coast. That's where temps are going to be anywhere from about 3 to 5 degrees below normal. But um, from the Mississippi Valley, certainly on west, uh, readings are going to be above normal, and there could be uh, quite a few areas west of the Missouri River where we see temperatures that are about 5 to uh, 10 degrees above normal. Uh, there's going to be quite a bit of the northern and central plains have temperatures uh, getting into the upper 70s to even the low 80s, and, uh, you know, a bringing a lot to, you know, a lot of a summertime feel to things rather than just a springtime uh, feel. Nobody's going to turn that down. Again, comparing back to last year when it seemed like we went forever without hitting the 80-degree mark, uh, we've already been able to think about that here during April. Well, we've seen some severe weather in April, and we know that threat will continue into May. Uh, are we seeing more severe weather early on here in April compared to uh, an average year or not? I think that overall it's been uh, kind of an average occurrence. Uh, when when we had the uh, you know large upper air uh, temperature contrast that went on, uh, you know that's a, a prime uh, a prime factor, a prime environment uh, for developing the uh, severe weather. Uh, so we you know, so we had that uh, going on. The upper air features this next week are mainly going to be west to east in terms of a an upper air flow pattern, so a zonal flow. And when you have that happening, uh, there's very little in the way of, of a real sharp temperature difference between north and south to create that that kind of uh, uh, conflict in terms of uh, in terms of conditions uh, for the severe weather to fire up. And then even farther to our north, the Canadian prairies are going to have a mild week and uh, actually above normal temperatures there. And uh, they will take it uh, like just about everybody else is in terms of, uh, you know, thinking about getting things up and running. We're talking with ETM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, Bryce, we've been watching some uh, weather developments in some other parts of the world. Let's go to South America. Uh, are they still dry? 
they still are, especially in central Brazil right now. We know that southern Brazil uh, had a real uh, sharp reduction in their soybean crop uh, this year because of how dry it got during February and March. And now that drier trend has really set in in Mato Grosso and Goiás in central Brazil. So the uh, safrinha corn crop uh, size is going to get whittled back. I don't think it's going to be as bad as it was a couple of years ago when it just got real dry and hot real fast and, and uh, you know, truly hurt the crop a lot. But, um, you know, there were projections for a, uh, a very large uh, safrinha corn crop this year. I think it's going to be uh, probably about 10% less uh, than had been expected. And um, in a, you know, in a more typical market year, that would be a big market mover. But uh, this year, I don't know exactly how the trade is going to react to that with everything else going on. And then farther uh, south in Argentina, Mike, I should mention that the uh, rainfall in Argentina has been quite heavy in the past couple weeks. Uh, they've had harvest delays and likely some flooding there. So uh, that's been the other side of the South America rainfall situation, very heavy in Argentina, and then hardly anything noteworthy in Brazil right now. What about that Black Sea region? You know, Russia and Ukraine are still in need of moisture, and they had some showers over the past week, week and a half in uh, Ukraine into uh, southern and central Russia, but I think the wheat crop is still in need of additional uh, rainfall. They've had uh, some uh, shaving, a little bit of whittling away at the wheat crop size, and there's going to be some light rain this week, but I, I think mainly it's, uh, it's not anything that's going to add a, a great deal to the soil moisture supply there. And then farther west in Europe, that is where there's a better rain chance right now because uh, France and Germany could see anywhere from a quarter to one inch of rain this week with follow-up rains in the next uh, seven to ten days, and their wheat crop will certainly benefit from that. Mm-hmm. All right, Bryce. Uh, Will, we've talked a lot about rain. Uh, there are a few dry areas still in the U.S. Kind of identify those for us, and are they getting any relief? Well, the Southern Plains has uh, just a few showers crossing uh, central Oklahoma today, but otherwise it is going to be pretty dry in uh, the Southern and Southwestern Plains, especially this week. And uh, the the wheat crop could certainly use more rain. Um, I don't know that it's uh, going to get a great deal of benefit and it is going to be pretty warm in the southwestern plains, so there may be a little bit more stress that we see on that crop as we get toward the end of this week. And uh, the the interior northwestern part of the country is under a longer-term dry trend. And um, as we go through the rest of this growing season for the winter wheat crop in the Pacific Northwest, uh, I'm pretty concerned that they're not going to get the kind of moisture they need to maximize the uh, crop yield in that part of the country. So that is a point of concern as well. Yeah, we need to keep that in mind. There are some dry spots uh, in the U.S. and uh, certainly concern for those areas. All right, Bryce, good to talk with you again. Stay well, and we'll talk again next week. Will do. Thanks a lot, Mike.
Take care. DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Up next, we take a look at the markets, and as the economy starts to slowly reopen in places, what impact will that have? And we'll take a look at the uh, the world picture as well as far as supply and demand. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone, joins us next on AOA. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, let's check in with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Arlen, thank you for being with us. Good to talk with you again. Hope you are well. Um, what do you make of what's going on in uh, the meatpacking industry now and when we're seeing what looks to be uh, putting our food supply chain at a breaking point, really? It really is. It's testing it, and uh, it's it's very painful on the producer side. Is uh, they simply cannot find anyone in some cases in order to take their animals, and uh, so they're faced with uh, very very tough decisions. I hope they'd never face on what to do about it as uh, the newborns keep coming up in and pushing for pen space, etc. Right now, uh, we can reduce capacity of our slaughter capacity in two ways. One is when a plant obviously closes down, and the other is when you're lacking so many employees uh, that you have to combine shifts or slow the chain speed down. And so in both ways, you reduce capacity. And right now, our capacity is reduced about 30% on both the beef and the pork side, and um, 30% from where we need it to be, I should say, in order to handle the number of animals that we have and the demand that we have for product. And uh, on the other side of it, therefore, we uh, are, are running tight on product, and uh, supplies are tightening up, and it's starting to have an impact at the retail level, let alone those restaurants and food services that are still open trying to get supplies as well. And it really doesn't seem like there's too much that can be done to for a quick change i mean you you take precautions but if people are sick it's going to take them a while to recover Uh, uh, so it's not something you can just flip the switch on and off here yeah that's exactly right and a lot of it goes down to the culture of uh, a lot of people who live there tend to live in tight quarters a lot of people um, and so it starts spreading through a family or through a community and if they have it as you said they stay away um, they can take protective measures to try to protect the workers who don't have it yet, um, but that still doesn't get you back the workers that you have. So all kinds of options being considered, um, but none of them are very good. I've been asking a number of people the question about the pork industry. Will this be similar to the late 90s where we saw a complete overhaul, restructuring of the, of the whole industry? Do you see something similar happening this time? Well, I certainly think that they're going to be trying to figure out a different way to handle the slaughter aspect. That's been the whole process. 
is, uh, you know, we, we can concentrate production, and we've done a lot of that in the hog industry, um, but the slaughter capacity has been the bottleneck here. And I'm sure they're going to be looking at ways to try to reduce the amount of human contact and human uh, effort necessary to automate as much as possible. I'm, I'm not sure what all that's going to end up looking like, but uh, I do think that this is going to push some significant changes in the industry. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. Uh, what do you see market-wise uh, moving forward? Uh, we've had a pretty good start to the planting season, so we're looking at, at that uh, side of it, but we're also seeing the demand situation still so severely impacted by COVID-19. What do you see as a market reaction moving into as we head into the month of May here? Well, we're, we are seeing kind of diverse conditions in northern and western part of the Midwest. We've seen quite a bit more opportunities to do field work, southern and eastern parts of the Midwest, not so much. Uh, and it looks like that's going to continue to be the pattern, more opportunities to plant and, and uh, do other field work in northern and western parts of the Midwest and fewer opportunities in the south and east. So we're going to have to monitor this in the southern and eastern part of the Midwest to see if it ends up giving us prevent plant acres. We've still got a month plus to go before that really becomes a factor, but it is concerning looking at some of the long-range maps. Um, On the demand side, obviously ethanol is the big problem in the crude oil market, the fact that people simply aren't driving. Starting to reopen some states will help. It will not be enough for a while. It's going to take time. Even as states start to reopen, people are going to be somewhat slow to get out and about. Um, But we need people driving to bring back the demand for ethanol. Now would certainly be the time we'd love to see China come in and buy a lot of ethanol, um, but we're not hearing any rumors or chatter about that at this time. So I don't think something we can depend on. We need some type of demand for that ethanol, and that means gasoline sales to go up. Um, so that we can start reopening some plants and try try to minimize the damage or reduce the damage long-term to the corn balance sheet and reduce the amount of carryover in the next year. Because generally right now, the general expectation is is we're going to plant a big crop that even adds to those surpluses, so we want to carry over as little as possible. We saw China come in with some good news last week. We broke it to our clients because of our sharp china team who gave us the word on wednesday of last week and uh, then the media broke the story on thursday that uh, the government was looking at the possibility of buying 10 million metric tons of u.s soybeans 20 million metric tons of u.s corn Um, the soybeans they were going to do that anyway maybe it picked it up a little bit but even the beans that they bought last week uh, some 22.3 million bushels that uh, we saw record of confirmed uh, is pretty much for August-September delivery. So they have the beans that they need for from Brazil up until that time. So we're looking at the next balance sheet that gets helped, not the current one. And on the corn, we're probably looking at the same thing because the last big purchase they made from the U.S. was for new crop delivery. So it's next year's balance sheet that gets some assistance, and we'll take it. Uh, doesn't help the current balance sheet. Yeah, I was as you went through all that, I was trying to say, listening for something that might have uh, suggested market rally, but I didn't uh, hear anything in the near term to suggest that. 
you know, I think the biggest opportunity, if China keeps buying for new crops, probably the biggest opportunity to maybe sustain a rally would be if we would see uh, the rains get missed in the southern half of Ch- uh, Brazil, Safrina Corn Belt here in the next week to 10 days. Um, that's something that we have our eyes on. Um, the crop can start deteriorating pretty quick. If that doesn't happen, we'll have to wait and see. And uh, the other thing, maybe a little bit longer term, is watching the expectations for dryness to continue to be a problem in the Black Sea Corn Belt uh, this summer. But again, it's so early, I don't see the market really responding to that. Brazil Safrina Belt would be the best opportunity to positively impact our prices. What about the wheat market? Wheat market, we're under a little bit of pressure today because uh, dry areas of Europe and the Black Sea are expected to see some showers over the next week to 10 days. The driest areas are not expected to see the drought broken. I think that's a key thing to remember. The Black Sea tends to set the world wheat prices, and that's why we've had recent strength in the market. But with showers expected to come, traders are going to be taking some profits, and, and that's what we've seen coming into this week's trade. We'll have to watch what those totals are. Overall, we are seeing production numbers come down for Ukraine and Russia. Uh, These rains are going to be critical. If they fall short, we could see a much more significant yield losses. Um, If they are more than expected, then we could see some bounce back in production estimates. And the other thing is watching the extent of freeze damage in the plains from the April freezes. That damage is becoming a little bit more pronounced now than what it was previously. Some of it will have time to recoup some of the losses. Other will not. Um, the hard red winter wheat tour was canceled because of COVID-19. This is a year we really could have used it. So we're going to be very dependent on USDA surveyors walking the fields around um, this coming week to give their estimates on May 12th. And finally, uh, Arlen, how you know, with all the focus now on the economy restarting different ways and different amounts in different places, how do you see this playing out now as we move forward into May and beyond? Because some are still talking about, you know, still social distancing for months yet, and uh, that limits what restaurants can do and things like that. So uh, how much of a comeback are you seeing right away for the economy? Of course, I'm an economist, and I'm going to have the bias for the economy. And I know that no life lost is is should be taken for granted. But there's significant data that came out over the past week indicating that we've gone much further toward building herd immunity than was previously thought. It's from two studies, one in California and one in New York. And as we get more and more data out, if that continues to confirm, then I think we can open things up much quicker But I think it's critical that we open up the nation over the next month, because if we don't, then it becomes much more difficult to ever restart many of these businesses, and we do a much deeper damage to the economy. Therefore, we don't get people driving. We have more job loss, less purchases by a consumer, and we do considerably more damage. And I really see that side was gaining momentum until this past week's data come out. So I think it's important that these states that are starting to reopen see some positive results to kind of keep that momentum going and that we are smart about it uh, to kind of manage the the COVID-19 in the process. 
And unfortunately, like about everything else in this country, even the crisis has become politicized. So we'll see how all this plays out. Arlen, thank you so much for your perspective. Stay well. Thank you. Same to you, Mike. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Well, how is COVID-19 impacting our soybean sales? China making some purchases, but what about around the world? What impact is it having? We'll talk with Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, next on AOA. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Network. For farm and ranch information you can depend on and the sources you can trust. Adams on Agriculture and the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we continue to look at the impact of COVID-19 on agriculture, and one of the areas uh, we'll focus on now is uh, the soybean industry and what impact it's having this global pandemic on soybean exports. Jim Sutter's with us, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Jim, thank you for being with us. Hope you're well. Thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate the opportunity, and yes, doing fine, and I hope you're doing well as well also. Yes, yes, indeed. Thank you. Uh, we were we sat together at Commodity Classic at the end of February, and wow, that now seems like a lifetime ago. So much has changed since then because of COVID nineteen. What impact is it having on uh, not only soybean exports but your work in in market development in countries around the world? Yeah, well, thanks for that question, and uh, and it does seem like a lifetime ago. I think about that often, that it wasn't that long ago we were down in San Antonio. Um, so I guess first and foremost, our work really continues. I think that that's, uh, some people may think, well, the marketing promotion efforts may stop at, the, at a time like this. Uh, really, uh, that would be the furthest thing from the truth. We're trying to make sure that people around the world understand that U.S. soy is open for business, that our export channels continue to operate extremely well, that we have the benefit of having such you know, great infrastructure all the way from farm through our transportation system, our export facilities, uh, that really give us a strong reliability advantage versus some other origins in the world. So we continue with that. Uh, in terms of demand, um, you know, obviously we... we our thoughts go out to the people all around the world that are suffering from this, and it certainly is having some of an impact in demand in countries around the world, particularly where they're on lockdown or that kind of thing. But we see exports actually continuing pretty well. Uh, one of the things we've done to continue marketing, we had a global conference a week ago, a global virtual mm-hmm. conference, and, and one of our speakers was Emily French, uh, you know, a well-known market uh, analyst that talks about uh, the kind of the global picture. And she was projecting soybean meal demand uh, up 2.7% this year versus last year, despite the ASF problems. And I really find that to be sort of an optimistic thing. And, and it's because China's demand, they're coming out of their ASF problem there. And in many other countries around the world, we continue to see uh, people wanting to produce food, uh, even if we're in a COVID-19 situation. 
So all that's kind of a long answer. Our exports are uh, down right now, kind of as they seasonally are. We feel pressure from South America. Uh, South America, uh, they've been benefiting from very cheap Brazilian currency. So Brazilian farmers, as they harvest their crop, they've been selling aggressively. But we think that'll be coming to an end here fairly soon. And U.S. exports have been okay, not not great, but uh, kind of what we had expected for this time of the year. One of the things we were ta- talking about down in San Antonio uh, was the China Phase 1 deal. And I remember talking with you about the fact that I, I thought it was a really good sign that the Chinese government had given export or excuse me importers in China the opportunity to apply for and receive a tariff waiver. And that, that process worked really well. You know, that's the kind of thing that could get caught up in a lot of red tape. But from what we understand, it, it went very smoothly for the importers that applied. All those that applied have gotten their tariff waivers. And, in fact, we started to see purchases just last week. On three successive days, we had purchases of Chinese uh, of beans going to China uh, announced by USDA. So I think there's uh, that kind of light at the end of the tunnel that we are seeing, that we should start to see some of this phase one business coming in, and we've got the underlying business with our customers in many other markets around the world. We're looking at trying to restart our economy here in the U.S. When you're talking exports, you have to look at the economies in these other countries and how quickly can they get back up and going from COVID-19. Well, I think that's a great question and one that, uh, you know, I think many people wish we knew the exact answer to. Um, I, I guess I am reasonably optimistic. We see, you know, we talk regularly to our team on the ground in China and to see that uh, they are getting back up and they have very few COVID-19 cases uh, now um, and and their economy really is kind of coming back to life. I think they're Restaurants are back open, their food sectors, all those sorts of things are operating again. Uh, And as I mentioned, um, we've seen uh, purchases being made by China, and there we're actually actually expecting a a nice increase in soybean imports into China in this year versus last year, uh, with them taking, I think, numbers 91 million tons up from uh, 88 last year. And, And... that is not what we were expecting just a few months ago. So even uh, despite the COVID problem, we thought that the ASF situation, and many, I think, around the market were afraid that this ASF situation would have a longer tail. But it seems to be, you know, they're, they're, as they come out of this ASF situation, they want to feed a lot of soybean meal to their swine herds to try and uh, really speed up production. So that's a good thing. Um, you know, as we see many other countries around the world come out of this, it's going to be interesting to see. I, w- I wish we had a crystal ball that would really give us an answer. But I, I do think, I just feel confident with us being in the food delivery business and really a basic, very important, you know, the protein and the oil, two things that are essential as people want to Im- make sure they have enough food in their supply chains. I think that soybeans are going to be in a good spot uh, to, to be one of the first that see demand kick in. Well, it's far from business as usual, but it's good to hear that business is still going on. We're still moving uh, soybeans around the world, just not as much as we would like right now, but hopefully that's going to pick up soon. Jim, thank you for the update. Please stay well. We look forward to when we can get together again like we did just a few weeks ago. Mike, thank you very much for the opportunity to chat. And, yes, please stay well, and I look forward to seeing you at an event in the not-too-distant future.
All right, take care. Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Coming up tomorrow, we'll continue our look at the impact of COVID-19 on agriculture, and we're also going to get an update on uh, the impact on our rural health care system, some government assistance and financial help. But what are we seeing around the country in rural America at hospitals and uh, the needs there? We'll get an update on that tomorrow. Hope you'll join us. Be careful. Stay safe, everyone. Thanks for being with us on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.